Well, I can't believe, I mean, obviously we were shocked and I wish Joni could be here today at this time. She's in uh, uh, Texas right now, but um, thank you all. I, I never dreamed that we would honestly ever be able to go to Israel. I really didn't think it was going to be something that would be possible and um, I, I, I can't wait. So thank you. Thank you. I, uh, again, you guys, are so, you guys are so good to us. And honestly, I feel like we're the privileged ones. And we certainly are. And I thank you for all that you do and all that you mean to us. So thank you. If you will, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, you can go to the church app. You can open up. There's a place, if you go to media and sermon notes, you can follow along. There's notes in there for you to be able to uh, see where we're headed and what we're doing in there and uh, follow along in that. We are looking and continuing to look at it, and we're going to for a little while. Again, unapologetically, I am going to take a while to take a look at John. John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptizer. We're, we're going to take a look and continue to examine his life because I think there's so much that we should learn from him. And again, I think it's really important because Jesus makes one of the most incredible statements that has ever been made about anybody. Jesus says, this is the greatest man who's ever lived. In John chapter 7 and verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. None is greater than John. So we have been discussing, and we'll get into the fullness of all the, the, the verses 28 through 35 mean in the coming weeks, but we're taking a look at, in these scriptures, what is it that John sees, or that Jesus sees about John, that he would say he's great? What makes him great? And we see some of the answers coming out of these scripture verses that we've been looking at. I'm going to recap just really quickly, please. I'm not going into the depths of this. You can go back and look at the sermons from previous weeks if you are so desired. The first thing that we talked about is John was great because he sought answers to the questions that he had about Jesus. You know, let's face it. If you don't have questions about Jesus, it's because you're faking it. Because we all have questions about Jesus. How can we not? He's God and we're not. Therefore, how are we ever going to fully understand the mind of God, the mind of Christ? How are we ever fully going to understand what he does and says and how he leads and guides us? There's always going to be the opportunity for questions. That's why we'll come to the second one. That's why it takes faith. But it says in verse 18, and the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So the disciples of John, they had come to John because John was in prison. And so here comes the disciples. They come to tell him all the things that Jesus has been doing. And John then calls two of those disciples to him, and he sends them to the Lord, sends them to Jesus, and, said, and, and, and to ask this question, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Again, kind of a weird question for somebody who knows Jesus so well, somebody who's in jail for Jesus, somebody who's, who's known that Jesus was born of a virgin, all of that, he already knew. But he still has this question. And when the men had come, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And I believe that part of the greatness of John was that John sought the answers to the questions that he had. He didn't do like so many of us do when we have questions about Jesus. We just go ahead and we let those questions turn into doubts, which then turns into unbelief, which then causes us to fall away. 
But Jesus, John didn't do that. He sought out the answers. He sent these men to Jesus. He wanted to find out what's going on. And he pursues passionately the answers to the questions that he has. Look, do you pursue passionately the answers to the questions that you have about Jesus? It's part of what makes John great. The second thing was he was great because he fully trusted in Jesus. He, he had great faith. He believed what those men said the report they gave of Jesus. It says in verse 21, in that hour, he, talking about uh, Jesus, and again, it's at this time, so these men come to Jesus, and it's at that time, it's in that hour, he healed many of the diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, so he's, he tells, Jesus tells these disciples, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And verse 23 says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus, in that hour, they come to see what Jesus, you know, to ask this question, and Jesus says, watch, watch what we do, and he, he begins to bring miracles. He begins to commit these miracles in the midst of the presence of these guys, and each and every one of the miracles that Jesus is performing is the fulfillment of a prophecy that came out of the Isaiah, which was written some 700 years before the coming of Christ. And he says to these disciples, go tell John that I was doing a exactly what Isaiah prophesied the Messiah would do when he came. And that's exactly what they went back and said, and John believed them. He fully believed them. Even though his place didn't change, he was still in jail, he, continued, he completely believed them. And then he closes with this amazing statement. He said, and verse 23, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Look, are you or have you been offended with Jesus? Look, God's word. Look, honestly, there's probably, again, you may not be telling the truth if you say, no, no, I've never been offended with Jesus. Because God's word is offensive to our flesh. It's offensive to the things that we are as just the, you know, fallen human beings. So we're going to find times where we have this opportunity to be offended. And the good news is that Jesus knows that. He anticipates that. He knows that there's a good chance that John's going to be offended with what Jesus says and does. And he, so he tells him, hey, make sure you tell John, don't be offended. Church, if you've been offended with God's word, Jesus already knows and anticipated that. And he sent this word to you. Don't be offended by me. Trust me, because I have better plans for you than you have for you. Amen. So this week, we're going to look at the fact I believe John was good because he was absolutely fearless in his service to Jesus. He was absolutely fearless. John is, and I believe to be probably the most committed, the most devoted, the most impressive, the most uh, incredible committed servant of Jesus Christ that we have ever seen in the history of our world. I don't believe there's ever been anybody that's been greater in their commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ. Listen to what this says here in verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, so the, the two, the couple of disciples of John, they had left Jesus and they were on their way back to John and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? 
A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, even more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written. And then he begins to quote John cha- or Malachi chapter 1, and he, he, which is written again 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And he begins to say this about John. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before me. Let's, uh, let's pray over God's word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you that your word is a guide for us to be able to follow after you step by step. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would minister and convict the hearts of those who have wandered, that you would begin to minister truth where lies have been believed, that you would begin, Lord, to settle the offended heart, that you, Lord, would do what only you can in this place. Lord, I have no ability to affect, touch, or even have a, 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 an effect on the lives of anyone. But Lord God, if you anoint the words by your spirit, then God, each and every one of us, if we'll open our ears to hear, can be changed and transformed in this few moments that we have together. So Lord, do what only you can do as we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So, John's in prison, and John's been in prison for a little while. And if you think about it, you know what? It's really hard on a ministry when the leader is in prison. You know, it's just, it's a difficult thing. You know, when, the, when somebody's locked up, it's really hard for them to continue to lead the way that they have led in the past. And so John's in prison, and that means that his ministry is starting to dwindle down. And he's got, you know, less and less people that are following him, and his, his ministry is starting to dwindle down. It's certainly because uh, his life is also beginning to come closer and closer to an end. Now you've got on the other side of that, you've got his cousin Jesus. And Jesus, he, he's not yet, they're not trying to kill him yet. They're not trying to take him out. They're not, they don't, they're not trying to lock him up at this point. And his ministry is becoming stronger and stronger. He's got more and more people that are coming to follow. You know, he's got a, this, this growing, rising ministry. And everyone's gathered around Jesus now. And there's all these different people from different places and different people that they had followed. And all of these people are coming around and they want to know, Jesus, what's going on here? It feels like we're at this transition place. It feels like, you know, we're, 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 we're you know, leaving this ministry to come follow this ministry. Are, my, are we leaving this guy to come follow this guy? And, and what's going on? It just seems all these things are happening. Jesus, what do you think? What do you think about John, Jesus? We need to know what you have to say. Go on public record and tell us what you think about John. Now, again, in this day and age, and I'll just go ahead and flat out, let's be honest with you. In this day and age of church hopping, we have a tendency to jump from one church to another church and uh, when we do it, we want to have reasons, so we look and find something that we didn't agree with or something that we don't like, and we go over to that next ministry and we say, yeah, those guys over there, they just did, they, they were like this. And so, and then the other ministry will say, yeah, you're right, I've heard that before. That's terrible. You, you have never heard me stand up here in the pulpit 
and degrade or talk down about another church or another ministry in town. You've never, if you've come here from another church, you've never let me, or you've never heard me let you talk bad about one of my friends who are ministers, pastors at other churches doing the very best they can, just like we are, doing the very best they can to minister to those that God has given to them, and they're doing the best job they can, and they're doing it with a good and open heart, and we want to go back and forth because we don't like this or like that. You know what? I don't care what they do. But as for us, we're not going to talk bad about other Christian ministries. We're not going to talk bad about other Christian churches. We're not going to talk bad about the other leaders and churches that we see around us. We're not going to do that. If there, again, if there's blatant, unrepentant sin, then you know what? Yes, we'll have a private conversation with one of those ministers. And if they won't repent, then yes, we'll begin to say some things so that others don't get hurt by that. But it's always done in love with the idea that we want to see repentance come. So not so the church is destroyed, not so a ministry is destroyed, but so that it's restored. That has got to be our heart in all of that. But again, that's the rare, rare, rare case. Most of the time, those hopping incidences and, and talking about other ministries happen simply because of jealousy or some kind of, of, of pride issue, some kind of you know, disagreement or criticisms amongst God's people. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And again, I, for those of you that have been a part of our church, you, you've heard me say this before because I'm serious about it. Now, it compounds the problem that we have this, this little thing called the internet. Church, I mean, half, all of what you hear hardly, almost, be careful what you take online and take as truth because most of the time what we're getting online is we're getting a version of the truth that's being combined with somebody's personal opinion and made to be presented in such a way that it should be received as truth when it's really not truth because it's only half true. When something's half true, church, listen. Again, this is a Pastor Markism. You don't want to write this down. Okay? When something is only half true... That means it's not true. I know, I know. Yep, I... <laughs> yeah, you'll thank me for that later. Listen, don't believe everything that you read and everything that you hear online. And don't believe everything that you hear that people say about others all the time. You know what? What, what does Jesus have to say? What does Jesus have to say about John? Because look at John. He, there were people, a lot of people saying a lot of things about John. There were people saying all kinds of bad things about him. We'll, we'll talk about that more as time goes on here. But there's, there was a lot of people that were saying a lot of bad things about him. There were theologians. There were teachers. There were leaders in the church that were saying, oh, that John, he's demon-possessed. That's tough for a minister to handle. They were saying they were coming against his integrity. They were coming against his character. That's tough for any man to handle. Man. You know, I, I mean, as men, you know, you know what, you can say a lot of things, but once you start coming against my character, once you start attacking my integrity, now we got a fight on. Yeah. And all these rumors are going on, going around about him. He's being questioned and, and criticized. And, and I can only imagine how people were saying things like, you know what, hey, if God really loved John, 
would John be in jail? Uh, we, we, we use circumstances like that as a guide for whether somebody's blessed or not. If God really loved John, would he really be in jail? Do you think that, do you think that God would let him suffer like that? Do you think that this isn't just God judging him? He's a false prophet. All these things, these horrible things being said about who? Being said about a man that Jesus called the greatest man who has ever been born of a woman, John. Church, be careful about rumors. Jesus, what does Jesus say about John? Jesus says John is courageous. God, John, he is bold. John is strong. Think about this. Where did these people go to see him preach? Out in the wilderness. What kind of preacher gets people to come listen to him in the wilderness? Church, it's hard enough to get people to come when the heat's on. There's fresh coffee. The seats are comfortable. He got people to come to the wilderness to hear him preach. I can only imagine how good a preacher this guy was and what kind of message, uh, an amazing message that people would come out to the woods to hear him speak. And what does he say? What does Jesus say about John? The first thing he says is that, you know what? John is not a pushover. Church, John is not a pushover. Verse 24 says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And, and let me just say, in the church, there are a lot of reeds that are shaken by the wind. There are a lot of those who stand up strong and then when the wind comes, all of a sudden we just bend out of sight. There's a lot of people who say they're totally committed. Hey, I am totally committed to Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh-oh, I just got criticized. I am a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna do what Jesus is leading me. Ooh, she's pretty. Oh, I am totally committed to Jesus. Oh, no, wait a minute. My boss may not give me that promotion. Oh, I'm totally committed to Jesus. Uh-oh. That's going to cost me some popularity at school. Oh, I am completely, I'm totally committed to Jesus. Ah, my family doesn't like that. There's a lot of people who are totally committed to Jesus and all of a sudden, some kind of wind comes up. Some kind of breeze blows against us and we all of a sudden compromise. We begin to wilt. We begin to be like that reed blown by the wind when there's some opposition or some confrontation or some criticism or if there's the least bit of suffering. And Jesus is saying, is that what you expected from John? 
Did you expect that? Did you expect that with a little criticism? Did you expect with a couple of people coming against him, saying things about Did you think that that was going to happen to John? And Jesus is saying, let me tell you, that's not John. That's not the kind of man he is. John's not like that. John is strong. John is firm. John is committed. John is dependable. John is stable. John is not a reed blown around by the winds of circumstance that surround him. He's talking about, he's saying John is not a pushover. You're not just going to criticize him and he's going to just fall over. It's one of the reasons that he's great. He gets the word from the disciples and they are from his disciples about all the things that Jesus said and he's just full on believing. He's just full on, not just believing, but believing to the point where he's going to stand firm and nobody's going to push him over. You can damage my reputation, but I'm going to still stand and still believe in Jesus Christ. You can come against my character, but I'm still going to stand and I'm still going to believe in Jesus Christ. And you can say things about me that nobody else should say and I'm still going to stand and I'm still going to believe in Jesus Christ. You can put me in prison and I'm still going to stand for Jesus Christ. You can put my head on a chopping block and I still believe that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, he believed. He believed all the way to the end. You see John standing firm, not being blown like a reed in the wind. He's standing firm and he's serving and praising Jesus to and even after the end. That's John. And, and especially you men, I hope that puts some steel in your spine. No, I'm not going to be pushed around for all of us. No, I'm not going to bend. This is what I believe. Amen. Did you like that one? You'll really like this one. You know, Jesus is just not politically correct. Nor is he codependent. I, I love this. You know what? One of the things that Jesus loved about John was that John was a man's man. He was. He says this. He said, did you expect to see a man dressed in soft clothing? No, you know, again, I want to be careful here because I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be offensive. But it, Jesus is saying, really? Did you guys expect to go out there and see a guy wearing a Snuggie sitting on the couch? Is that, is that what you expected to do? Go out and find, you know, this guy giving out hugs? And again, I said this first service, I'll say it again because I want to go on the record. No prophet ever wore a Snuggie. All right, ever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine... The message from John wearing a Snuggie. Repent. I don't know. It loses some of its oomph, I think. And so he said, what did you expect to see? A guy wearing a Snuggie? A guy with flip-flops, flicking his hair, listening to Elton John, drinking decaf lattes and hugging trees? What did you expect to find? Did you expect to find the guy that was voted most likely to give you a hug in high school? Because if that's what you were expecting, that's not John. John is a man's man. He's a guy's guy. He's a dude's dude. That's John. He's a man. Look, if somebody breaks into your house, you want to call John. He's that guy. He's not this other guy. He's, he's, he's not the snuggy, cuddly guy. 
He's just not. And so again, I say that Jesus is saying, you know what, this guy's great because he really is a stand-up man. He's standing up as a guy. For, and, and, and again, if you met him, can you imagine? You look at this guy, I mean, he's got crazy hair. He's got bugs in his teeth. He probably shakes your hand to where he's like, you're going to break my hand? He's got this crazy wild-eyed look in his eyes. And you're like, hey, either this guy really loves Jesus or he is totally nuts. Look, that's John. He, that's, he's that guy. That's who he is. And he is in that 100% completely devoted, completely submitted, completely on fire for God. He's completely whatever the cost, no matter what happens, all the way to the very end. I will not be pushed over. I will not be swayed. He is going to stand up. He is going to stand up as a man. Listen, Jesus says, you know what? You want to know about John? John's not a pushover and he's not a pansy. He's a prophet. And even more than a prophet, he is the one in whom he fulfills the calling from Malachi chapter three he's the messenger that would come before me and he is here to prepare the way for me that's what jesus says about him so these things are all things that are are you know part of what he's doing in this moment to reflect the greatness that's within him but we go back to the original question how do we live a great life Okay, that's one thing to look at this from a, you know, from a biblical perspective and, and to say, okay, that's the life of John, but I'm not John. But God's no respecter of persons, and so if he gave John the ability to live a great life, then that means that he, through John's example, is giving you and I the same opportunity to live a great life. Each and every one of us. Jesus said this about him. He said, I tell you, among, among those born of women, none, none, none is greater than John. Well, how did John become great? How did he do that? Now, again, I, I think there's, there's two sides of the, the, the answer to that. I, and, and honestly, neither side is really right. Two sides of this coin, and one side of the coin is there's people that say, well, I, I don't aspire to greatness. I, I, don't, I, I just want to be humble. That kind of humility is called false humility. And it's a cop-out. The truth is, is that it's not necessarily humility that's guiding that. It's a fear of failure oftentimes that's guiding that. So it's fear or just plain laziness. I, 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 don't, I just, I don't want to do all that. On the other side of that coin, and listen, let me just say this. Church, every one of you, God has called you to live a big, bold, beautiful life. God has called each and every one of you to live a great life. He knew you. He knew the plans that he had before you were even formed in your mother's womb. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship, and you have been created in Christ to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. God has called you to live big. He's called you to live bold. He's called you to live a great life. Again, there are others that are going, yes, that's me. I'm going to be the great one. I'm going to live a great life. And you're being motivated not out of the call of God. You're being motivated out of oftentimes pride then. Oh, 
and selfishness. Well, it's like, well, great, pastor. Well, make up your mind. And I told you that it's a two-sided coin that we have to learn to place on its edge because neither side of that is right. God wants you to live bold. He wants you to live big. He wants you to live humbly. Great. And church, that's what I, and, and that's the needle that we're, we need to thread, is how do we live a big, bold, humble life? How do we do that? And, and again, I, I say it purposefully that way. This is the needle that we need to thread in this. So Jesus is living this, you know, or, or this big, bold life and, and John, he's describing, is living this big, bold, great life. And they asked John, well, John, Jesus' ministry and Jesus' popularity is growing and he's becoming preeminent and he's becoming, you know, more and more popular. What do you think about that? And John said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's good when that happens. And church, that's humility. Well, how do we do, how do we find that balance? How do we live a great life? How do we live a great life? And how do we raise up kids that would live a big, bold, and great life like Zechariah and Elizabeth did? Well, there's two options here. And as I said, we're gonna thread a needle with this. So please pay attention, okay? It's important. We have two options, and the first one is wrong. Okay, the first one, it goes like this. Hey, you should be doing blank. You're not doing blank, so start doing blank. You're not doing this, so you should be doing this, so start doing this. And, and it's what we do, and that encompasses so much secularism in it. That has, I mean, that encompasses pop culture, pop psychology, uh, all kinds of meisms that are involved in that. It's a self-help kind of way to take care of things. Spiritualism addresses things that way. Oprah addresses things that way. Nagging moms address things that way. Christian fundamentalism addresses things that way. All of it. Hey, you're supposed to be doing this. And you're not doing that. So start doing that. But church, we can do all that. And there's no God in it. There's no God in it. Please hear me. I mean, just because we're doing good things doesn't mean that God's in it. Hey, you should be reading your Bible. You're not reading your Bible, so start reading your Bible. Hey, you should be praying, and you're not praying, so you should start praying. Hey, you're not being generous. You should be generous, so you need to start being generous. Hey, you know what? You should go to church, and you're not going to church, so you should start going to church. Hey, you're eating too much and you're not supposed to eat too much so you should stop eating so much. And, and 
God's not in it. Well, okay, but you should do those things because you love yourself. Like, that's the seat, the sum, the core of what we should be all about is whether we can love ourselves or not. Church, that's just total meism. It's all that it really is. Well, do it for God as if God needs you to do anything for him. Some of us are that way. I have absolutely, have I been that way and done those things? Absolutely. And some of us, the worst, you know, sometimes the worst at it are parents because our kids are so difficult. They're not fully functioning and they're trying to act like they're fully functioning. And so they, they don't do the things we think they should do. Johnny, you're supposed to do that. So you're not doing that. So start doing that. Okay, mom. Now you're not doing that. So you should be doing that now. So start doing that. So from this young age, and again, please hear me. I'm not saying that all those things are bad. But from a young age, when we begin to look at everything from that perspective, what we begin to do is we begin to raise our kids up in this place of moralism being guided by guilt and intimidation. And again, some of us are that way. But church, that's simply behavior modification. And God's not in it. Okay, I know, and some of you may be disagreeing with me right now. That's okay. I asked you to listen because we're gonna thread this needle here as we look at this next uh, option. And that next option is this. You should be doing blank. You can't do blank. So Jesus did blank. And he sent the Holy Spirit to help us do blank. See, you can't do this. You, you can't. You should be doing this, but you're not doing this because you can't do this. But Jesus, he can, and he came, and he did that. And then he goes and he sends the Holy Spirit to help you do that. Think about the scripture that the, the, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. How many of you found out that that really sounds good, but I can't do it? I can't, I, I, I fall short in that. There's times when I, I love myself more. And I struggle with that. And, and again, we can't do that because we live in this fallen world. We are fallen sinners in need of redemption. But the good news is that Jesus did do that. And Jesus, he did love the Lord his God. He loved him with all, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. He did that. And he died for you and for me. He arose to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. And he sent the Spirit so that by the power of God, the same power that lived in the life of Jesus, he, we can live as well patterning our lives after Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to do what we cannot do on our own. There are some of you that say, you know what, I'll do this. But we find that it's impossible to worship God with this because we're fallen. Because we're sinners. And church... You know, God says, don't, don't trust your own heart because your heart is convoluted. It's messed up. Your heart's got some definite wrong thoughts and places of confusion. 
know, have you ever found that you can do a lot of good things and you can do all the good things for all the wrong reasons? We can do all these good things and oftentimes it's so that we'll look good. You know, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm vying for the perfect church attendance prize. When it really comes down to often, it's about pride and self-righteousness. We all become hypocritical in so many different ways because we're a confusing mess. Look, church, we can't live the life that God has for us. You can't live the life that God has for you. Whatever life God has called you to, we can't do it. So Jesus came because only he could. And Jesus came and he lived in this life without sin. He came and lived a perfect life. He came and lived with a righteous life. Jesus came to live the life that you and I are supposed to live. And he came to die and he died the death that you and I are supposed to die. And he sends then the Holy Spirit to come and to live in and dwell in the children of God. Why? So that we might have a new power, that we could live as new creations, that we might live in the power of the Holy Spirit as new people. That's what he's calling you and I to. And that means this, you can live a great life. You're called to live a great life. And it's not because you're great, but because God is great. It's because of his greatness, and you can live by a great power. And church, that great power is not your power. If you're trying to live in your power, you're not living by a great power. You're living by your power, and that's not such a great power. It's God's power, which means that in his power, in his filling, in his spirit, we can live big, we can live bold, we can live our life humbly. And we should be thanking him. Where is that? How do do you back that up in Scripture? And and in doing that, again, we have to look at the entirety of the life of John. We we look at all the things, and we talked about this back a long time ago when we were in Luke chapter 1. Some of you weren't even here then. (laughs) Some of you may not have been born then. In Luke chapter 1 is the first place that we meet John, and we meet him as a baby, as a, as a baby inside the mother's womb. And then we meet him as a, a little kid that's growing, and then we meet John as a full-grown man. And if we want to understand the greatness of this full-grown man, we have to take a look at what God has to say about this man. And we look at the seeds that were planted in his life, the seeds that were planted in the early life, that, and what God did in him throughout his life. And one of the first things that you see is in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, the angel Gabriel, he said this about John. He said, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Thank you, Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, again, that is a remarkable statement. For those of you who have in your life aborted, or miscarried. This is a tremendously hope-filled scripture for us because it tells us that God can save, that God redeems, that God fills us with the Holy Spirit even from our mother's womb. That church, that thing we sometimes call a fetus, a clump of tissue 
is an unborn child. That unborn child is a child. It's a person. It is an image bearer of Jesus that's there inside of the mother's womb. It is a baby. It is a life that can be called and set apart. A life that can receive the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Ghost in his life. That then that womb, that baby can receive the call of God. Then that womb, the baby can be filled and enabled by the life of Jesus. That baby can come take up, the Holy Spirit can come Take up residence inside that baby while it's still in the mother's womb. Church, inside that mother's womb, that's a life. It's a life. And that's amazing. So from this point on, in John's life, if it begins with, and this is just a deduction that I made, if John's life begins by being filled with the Holy Spirit and says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit for all of his life, and then he gets to the end of his life and Jesus said, this is the greatest man that's ever lived, I have to just by deduction tie those two statements together. That there's a connection in this. Because the Holy Spirit, church, is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a great God. And he is the one who enables a great life. And John lives a big, bold, beautiful, great life. And you know what? He doesn't get any credit for it. It wasn't all about him. He lives this life, and he lives this life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is to be a humility that there that's acknowledging that's John's life. John had a great life, and it was all done by the power of the Holy Spirit that filled him for all of his days. Amen? Amen. Look, we we need to be filled. We need to be following after the leadings of the Holy Spirit in our our lives. And then we read this about John. In verse 66 of Luke chapter 1, the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was on him. The hand of the Lord was on him. That is a powerful statement. Think about that. The hand of the Lord was on him. I was getting this picture of God as a a father and and placing his hand on us, not to push us around or to squeeze our neck, (laughs) but that he might guide us and direct us and comfort us as we walk through life. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was reminded of a time when I took Sam and Luke, me and Joe Oney, took them to Lagoon. That was quite a day. <clears throat> there were crowds. I can't stand Lagoon because the crowds are just, ter- I, the crowds are like overwhelming. It's like, ugh. And so there was crowds everywhere. People were everywhere. It was crowded. And, and we get there and we're walking around. And of course, one of the first things that happens is one of them has to go to the bathroom. They can't go at the same time. Okay, they got to go at different times because that would be too easy on Papa. So we go at different times. Well, this time, Luke, who was just a little guy at that point, he's only like six years old at this point or five years old, and we're walking around and he's got to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom. And I got to go to the bathroom. It's like, okay, Joni and Sam, you stay over here. I know where you're at. Just wait here for me. I'll go find the bathroom and I'll take 
Luke to the bathroom. And so we're walking and there's crowds everywhere. If you've ever been to Lagoon, you know what I'm talking about. And it gets to the place where you're walking around in there and it's hard to walk side by side because there's so many people. And so I take Luke and I put Luke in front of me and because I don't want to lose him, I, I don't want to go home with one kid when I came with two kids. And, and again, walking around in these crowds, you know, it's just crazy because, I mean, he's a little guy, you know, he's like a, a midget amongst the giants. He's just this little guy and he's, he's, he looks like from the back all the other little kids. And there's so much that's going on there, and there's so much for him to be distracted with, and there's so much like, squirrel, 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 you know, just so much sensory overload. And so I'm worried about this little guy. And so he's in front of me, because he can't walk side by side, and I put my hand on his head, because I wanted to, I didn't want to push him, but I just wanted to gently guide him to the bathroom. And so I'm walking with my hand on his head, and when we got closer to the bathroom, there was like big crowds of people. And I could tell that Luke got a little nervous because now he couldn't literally see me. I was just behind him. And there was lots and lots of people. And so Luke, as we get into the crowd and he's getting nervous, Luke goes like this. <laughs> and he puts his hands on top of my hand as if to say, Papa, I trust you. Papa, I'm going to go where you tell me to go. And Papa, you're not going anywhere without me. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what a perfect illustration of what the Christian life should be like. What an amazing way that we can look at where where God has his hand on us. It's God who puts his hand on his kids and he puts his hands on his children and his children have the opportunity by faith to say, okay, God, I know you're there and I'm gonna continue to follow you. I'm gonna continue your leading and I just wanna hold on. I just wanna know, God, that you're there and I just wanna know, Lord God, that you're leading and guiding me and my hands up here are because I trust you. And I trust you and I will follow you and I will let you lead me in all of these places. And church, that was John's life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was in his mother's womb and then throughout his life, he yielded to the Father's hand over him for direction in the course of his life. If the Father wanted him to go here and not go there, he didn't argue with God saying, but the grass is greener over here. But I don't like that direction. That road's too rough. He didn't argue with God about the direction that God was leading him. He said, yes, Father. And in his life, when the Father convicted him of sin, he didn't argue with the Father and say, well, well no, that's not really sin. It depends on how you look at it. You know what? It's kind of outdated, God. We should update some of these sins. He didn't argue with God about what was sin. When God called him in sin, he did this. I repent. It was a life of repentance. When the father began to teach him, he's like, oh, that's not what my teacher said. That's not what I learned. That's not what my mom said. When the father taught him something, he learns it. When the father corrects him, he didn't say, oh, I don't like that. I'm not gonna go this way anymore. Take your hand off me. When the father corrected him, he changed. 
In church, he yielded, he submitted to the Father. And that's the Christian life. It's not about all the do thises and don't do thats. It's about being yielded to the presence and the leadership of God in our lives. It's about continually allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into the things that we'll do. Listen, you can have two people side by side and one of them is just reading the word of God out of a duty that they feel like they have to do. The other one is reading because the Holy Spirit had led them into their word and he's got something special for them. He said, I want you to go into my word because I wanna share something with you. I wanna tell you something special that I wrote for you. Two completely different experiences doing the same thing. Church, John, this is like the life of Jesus. Jesus lived a life like that. And John lived a life like Jesus. It was a big life. It was a selfless life. It was a passionate life. It was a humble life. It was a truthful life. It was an honest life. It was a bold life. It was a life, and it was a life more abundantly. It was a life that was willing to lay itself down, to be willing to suffer for the cause of God, for what God had called him to, and for the good of others. It was a willingness to say, okay, God, wherever we go, it's best for you to lead me rather than me to lead you. This is what I want you to see. Jesus, or, or John's life was a life that was patterned after Jesus. And it was a life that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it was a life that was directed by the hand of his Father. Church, a great life is a tri triune life. It's a Trinitarian life. A great life is a life that's, that's patterned after Jesus. A life that's filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God, and led by the loving hand of our Father. That's a great life. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, please, you can't just do better. You can't just try harder. You can't just do more works. You, you can't just all that stuff. What you need is Jesus to forgive you for the sins that you cannot forgive yourself for. You need him to forgive you for the things that you can't stop doing. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you and to give you the Holy Spirit and to let the Holy Spirit fill your life. Let the Holy Spirit fill that empty place. Let the Holy Spirit empower you so that you can walk after Jesus, so you can do as Jesus calls you to do. Let him fill you so that you might live no longer by your power, but by the power of God, that with God, God is your father, you would follow him with his hand on your head, directing the path. And when you get nervous or when you feel like, God, where are you? You can put your hands up on top of his and know that he is there and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Amen. He will stand with you. You need Jesus in your life and he will fill you and he will direct your life and he will give you what the Bible says is life more abundantly. I know there's others here that maybe you have fought with sin and, and you've fought with sin and you've lost and you've lost and you've lost some hope and you've begun to wander. You've walked away and strayed and, and you run away from God. You went in directions that God didn't want you to go and, and, and you couldn't stop. I believe this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. 
I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart and speaking into your life. And he's saying this, come home, come back. It's time to repent. I'm not mad at you. I've missed you. I'm not mad at your questions. I have answers for you. Come back. Put yourself under daddy's hand. Let him fill you again with his spirit. Trust him. Walk with him. Trust him to believe that he knows what he's doing better than you know what you're doing. In church, the Holy Spirit would be saying, you know what? Don't be offended. Don't be offended by me. Don't be offended by the things that I've said because what I've said is the best for you. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's wrong. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Church, don't be offended by him. I feel like there's just, I I don't want to, just for a moment, there's some of you here that you've been offended by God. You've been offended by what God did or what you feel God didn't do. And oftentimes what happens in those moments is we begin to blame God for things that the devil has done. We begin to blame God for consequences that God said, hey, don't do this or this will happen. And then we did that and we're just shocked that God would let that happen. And just as Jesus said to John, sent the messengers to tell John, Don't be offended. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. John would say to you today, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Don't be offended by me. Trust me. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit would speak to the lives of many of you. Look, I know there are questions that you may have about Jesus. We all do. But seek answers to those questions. Don't seek people's opinions about what the Bible says about the questions that you have. Dig into the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit begin to bring you into a place of understanding. Look, ask the Holy Spirit. He's the one who wrote it all. Ask him. He'll lead you in his word. Seek answers to the questions. And when you find that truth, the truth of Jesus, receive it, trust it, and live the greatest life that God has called you to live in service of God and in service to others. Church, I want greatness for you, for each and every one of you, but not greatness in the world's eyes. It's a greatness in Jesus' eyes. Because look, You look at John's life and there was nothing in this world that looked great about that guy's life. Living homeless in the wilderness with no place to go. 
wearing camel clothes, eating bugs, sitting in prison because you worship your cousin as God, having your head chopped off. There's nothing that looks great. But Jesus said, this is the greatest man ever born of a woman. And it's because John wasn't living for his glory. John was living for the greatness of his glory. It's not greatness by your own power, by your own strength. It's greatness by the power of our great God, the Holy Spirit in us. Look, I know that I have not always done this right. I'll perfectly willing to admit and repent. But today, right here, right now, I am so glad that we stand as Christians. And as Christians, I don't have to stand up here and say, hey, you can be better. You need to do better. You need to go out and you need to start doing better. You can try harder. You can work harder. You can be great. Just go out and give it all you got. You know what? I get to stand up here with the privilege of telling you about the one who is greater than us. About the one who has created you for greatness and wants to then be the power that fills you for that greatness. He's the one. It's Jesus who directs the course of your life. It's Jesus who does great things in you. It's Jesus who does great things through you. It's Jesus who allows us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to have the kind of great life that He ordained for you and I. It's Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that gives us the opportunity to live a great, humble life. Do you know that God has ordained for you a joy-filled life, a peace-filled life, a spirit-filled life? Church, that's amazing. And today, you can come to Jesus. His hand is extended. And you can come to Jesus. Or you can turn away and reject his hand. That, that's the choice, that free will that he gives us. But the Bible says that this is the day of salvation, that no one is promised tomorrow, that this is the day, this is the hour that we come to him. And we come to Jesus not to acknowledge that we know him. We come to Jesus so that we would know that he knows us. And that's the invitation to come know Him in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in the hearts of those that have never known you. That God, they would acknowledge their sinfulness and call upon you to come and to forgive them of their sins and to fill them. Fill them, Lord. Fill them with your Spirit. Fill them up with a power. Fill them up with a fire. Transform their lives as only you can, Lord. We can't do it. We spent thousands of years trying. 
trying to obey your word, trying to live by your word, trying, Lord, to do what the law declared, and we couldn't do it. So Jesus came to rescue you. He came to find you in your darkness and to find you in your sin. And Jesus came to give you life and to bring hope where there was no hope and light where there was no light. He came into your life to forgive you of all the things that you can't stop doing. He came into your life today to bring hope. Now he's trying to lead you and guide you to a place where, come on, follow me. I know the way. I know the way. I know where you're at. And I came to, I came to rescue you. God, I pray that today that you would draw by your spirit those who are apart from you. And Lord, for the prodigal, for the backslider, for the, the one who's, who's wandered away, I pray, Lord, today would be a day where they would come home. Come home. I, I, look, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Listen, this is between you and God. But while every head is bowed and, and, and every eye is closed, just so that you can not be swayed by what you see or anyone around you, today the day that you responded to either of those calls to come to Christ or to come home? Because if so, I, I just want to pray for you. Would you lift up your hands so I can see where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Is there any others in here today? Please don't skip an opportunity where God, the Holy Spirit, is saying, come on, come on, just make a response to me. It's not in the response. It's what's in your heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, you see each and every hand, and you see each and every heart that that hand represents. Lord, that hand is not nearly as important as the heart that's being represented. And I pray, God, that you would move into each and every one of these lives as they committed themselves unto you in a fresh and a new way. Let the fire of the Almighty come in a powerful way to fill and overflow by the Holy Spirit. Lord, let... Let there be life where there never was. God, come and invade our hearts, invade our lives. Let there be, Father God, a filling, a pouring out. Let the fresh wind and the fresh fire of your presence, Lord God, fill this place, Lord, through each and every one. Oh, God, I thank you for the forgiveness of sin, for the cleansing, for the lift of the burden that only you can lift. Lord, what a great and wonderful day you have given us. And we rejoice in you today. We rejoice in what you have for us today. We rejoice, oh God, that you are the one who brings victory. That you're the one who has been victorious in this place. That, Lord, you're the one that we find our way in. You're the one, oh God, and there is no other. God, we lift you up and thank you for that today. God, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. You are victorious, Lord. Come on, we have been victorious today. When the darkness falls Come on, yep. It's not because of us, it's because of our great God. Oh, yes. My God will never Oh, lift up your voices. Come on, sing it out loud. My God will 
given us victory in this place today. In the hearts of those, Lord, that are calling out, Lord, you will not turn a deaf ear or a blind eye. I know that you have heard the cries of those hearts, and I thank you, God, for filling them with your answers, the power of your spirit being poured out in this place, Lord. We pray, God, for the forgiveness of sin, for the baptism of your Holy Spirit that would come and bring life and life more abundantly, and that we would, Lord, contend for an increase, for, Lord, coming to know you in greater and greater dimensions, greater and greater levels. Fill us, O oh God. Fill us, O oh God. Fill us, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, um, let me say this. We're going to have a baptism service out back. I know it's a little chilly out there, but the water is warm. In fact, they had to put some snow in it to cool it down a little bit. It was a little warm. So it's uh, the waters are warm. The waters are ready. If you've not been baptized, today is a great day to make a public declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. And for everyone else, come enjoy with your church family. Come enjoy this outward declaration of God's grace in their lives. God bless you. Listen, church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. God bless you.